0: Seven zero seven eight hundred nine four nine eight seven zero seven.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, live from the West Coast, it's time for Ring Talk Live Worldwide. Hey, yo. For over 30 years and still and still, your inside look into boxing and mixed martial arts. You know what? As long as she fights
2: 135
1: pounds, I don't care if she's injecting a horse demon into her eyeballs. Heard live around the world and brought to you by the World Boxing Organization. And now, and now, live from the Ring Talk Studios in San Francisco, here's the host of the longest-running fight show in history, Pedro Fernandez.
2: Bring that music down. Seven minutes past the hour. Welcome to Ring Talk Live Worldwide from the city by the bay, baby. San Francisco, California. The man had it right. My name is Pedro Fernandez, the often imitated but never duplicated heavyweight champion on the radio race, having defended that title off for better than, wow, 33 years. So straight up today, we're talking boxing and MMA, and I'm going to talk in hour number two in depth about the rise and the fall of the UFC. That's right. The $4.2 billion pink elephant. That's what it was. It was a pink elephant. It was a bad move. It was a lemon. It's not going to return the investment these, thing, these people think it will. Bottom line is... It was a dog. We'll talk about that in depth in an hour number two. Hour number one, boxing on the uh, front plate. Of course, we'll talk with a couple of guests, but I've got open phone lines around the planet. You can join me here. For your show, 1-800-878-PLAY. That's 1-800-878-7529. Of course, uh, this show is brought to you in part by the World Boxing Organization. Of course, the WBO is headquartered in Puerto Rico. The WBO offices were fine, but the WBO staff, of course, took a lot of heat. Uh, damage as far as our homes are concerned, so we're wishing them the very best. And we've got the 30th annual WBO Congress taking place October 23rd. Actually, we're it's on, a, it's on a boat. We're leaving it on a cruise ship out of Miami, Florida on the 23rd. We run to Friday that week, but the bottom line is supposed to go to Cuba. Wow, the Bahamas. Wow, all over the place. The bottom line is, though, is it going to happen? Because, you know... That place is a little crazy right now after all the storms. Anyway, we wish the Puerto Rican people all the best and, of course, a speedy recovery. But you are tuned to Rink Talk, live worldwide from the City by the Bay, San Francisco, California, on SB Nation and Sports Byline Radio. These are
1: the eyes that never knew how to smile Till you came into my life And these are the eyes that belongs to lock you inside every day and every night. Here comes the decision now. Let's listen.
2: Clarity in the world of professional boxing is spelled WBO. That's right. The World Boxing Organization is boxing's only transparent, sanctioned body. You can follow the WBO on Facebook or check out their website, WBOboxing.com. This is WBOboxing.com. The World Boxing Organization.
5: 800-223-0992 800-223-0992 That's 800-223-0992 The Lodge at Tiburon is steps from the ferry docks and nestled among Tiburon's upscale boutiques, charming cafes, and unique galleries. Dine at the award-winning Tiburon Tavern, serving innovative dishes prepared with ingredients grown in our very own gardens. Starting from $199 a night. Join us at the Lodge at Tiburon and create long-lasting memories. For reservations, call one 1- 877
0: 614 6068. Join us at the Lodge at Tiburon or go to lodge at Tiburon.com.
3: It has been said that I have two alternatives
6: either go to jail or go to the army. I'm only bold and cocky
7: before and after fight. Let me see you
6: close your mouth and just keep it closed. Right. Well, you know that's no, impossible. No, no, keep it closed. You know
7: that's, that's impossible. impossible. Well, I'm the greatest. And I'm knocking out all bones if you get too smart, I'll knock you out. People got to understand this: here. Uh, we all can have dreams, but the dream will never chase us. We have to chase the
2: dream. Now, more of Ring Talk with Pedro Fernandez. Fox says 12 and a half minutes past hour. This is hour number one of two of Ring Talk Live. We're a to concentrate on the world of professional boxing. Of course, and boxing is happening, man. Boxing is back, but why is it not back like... Like the old days. People say to me, it's not back like the old days. Well, there's actually a lot of boxing on television. You really do. There really is. In fact, when you look around the world, I mean, there's guys coming to this country that are going to make boxing. I think going to return boxing on his head. Who am I talking about? I'm talking about Eddie Hearn. That's right, Eddie Hearn. Of course, the promoter from the UK that's been on this show in the past. He's been at WBO conventions. We've interviewed him there. We've done television with him. Um, Very colorful guy. Probably about eh, 35 or 40, somewhere around, maybe not even 40. But a smart guy, no doubt about it, signed a whole lot of good guys as far as talent's concerned. And he wants to start promoting here in the United States. And I wish him all the best because he's got the right attitude. And the right attitude is that you go to the amateurs and you build from the amateurs up. That's what he did, of course, him and Frank Warren, a couple other guys in the U.K. And that's why United Kingdom Boxing is rocking and rolling. I mean, they have like sometimes four or five cards in a night. I'm serious, four or five, sometimes two in the same city. I mean, that's just the way it is. Boxing is hot over in the U.K., of course, where boxing, the Marcus of Queensbury uh, rules came to a fruition towards the end of the 18th century. Uh, but, you know, when you when you look at the, the fact that, you know, the boxing news is still like the, the little publication that everybody loves. And it was a weekly and I mean, it just it, it, it is it is a major sport in England. It's a major sport in Australia. It's a major sport. In Asia, all of Asia. I'm talking about the Asian countries. I can talk about Thailand. I talk about Japan. I talk about China now. Even communist China, of course, they've got their little Olympic gold medals. Once beaten guy, okay. So they've got things hot, rocking and rolling. Of course, having done the first boxing card ever, ever, ever in the People's Republic of China, right? I was part of the TV crew for the we at the Wall back in 1993, baby. Television history. Of course, we did a live. It was a uh, a taped, a live-to-tape. We taped it. For a broadcast a little bit later. I think it aired on USA television. But it rocked and rolled. We had a great time, man. Mike Weaver was there. Muhammad Ali, of course. That's where I met Ali really. Um after actually I met him at the Ali Holmes fight after he got beat up by Larry Holmes on October the third, nineteen eighty. It was the day after the fight, and he had sunglasses on and you know, he was all busted up and all swollen behind his eyes, and I was in tears getting an autograph from him. I mean, I may have been in my I may have been in my twenties, but I was in tears. My hero had been slain, okay? So he told me, hey, don't worry about me. I'll be okay. Grab my hand. So anyway, I ended up meeting him, of course, in, in uh, on the trip to to uh, Beijing, which was sort of cool, and we had a good time in 93, and of course, he put me up there in executive class, which means I got my own bed. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it's pretty cool. You're sleeping in the room with just like a little cabin, like six or seven seats that convert convert into beds, and Muhammad Ali's, you know, they'd invite you up there, so that was really cool. And what I really thought was crazy was that you could open the door. This was it was really adjacent adjacent to the uh, to the cockpit, so you could open the door at the front of the plane. That's where we were at the top front of the plane. You open the door and you walk right into the cockpit. So the the crew, in order to get to the uh, the pilot, the co pilot, I guess the navigator, the three people in the in the cockpit, in order for them to get to the cockpit, they had to walk through our section. Okay. So, you know, I was bored. I mean, here I am sitting with Muhammad Ali. He's sleeping. Everybody's snoring, <laughs> sawing logs. I can't sleep. I mean, come on, man. I'm on my way to China. I'm sitting up here in executive class with Muhammad Ali. I can't sleep, right? So, you know, Pedro gets a little curious, and I'm looking around. And I'm, what am I doing? So I open up the door to the pilots, the, 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 you know, to the cockpit, right? And I'm, you know, I'm going to look at the pilot and the co-pilot, whoever else is in there, baba. All three guys are asleep. Not only are they asleep, they're 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 over to the point where they look like they've been shot. In other words, like you know, like like to one extreme, one guy is like to one extreme, the other guy's to another extreme. And I evidently they, they got this sleeping thing down because they're on automatic pilot, but it didn't bode well with me. So I ran back to Mrs. Ali, Lonnie Ali, and I woke her up and I told her, Listen, not, the, the guys flying this plane are asleep. And she said, Pedro, you gotta stop it, man. You gotta stop doing this. <laughs> Please, you gotta stop. And I said, no, 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 Lonnie, I'm serious. She goes, Pedro, please. No, no. I said, please, please believe me. And Muhammad wakes up, and I wake him up, so he ain't too happy. Okay, Nobody's real happy with me right now, but, you know, the guys are sleeping, flying the plane. So I open up the door for Lonnie Ali, and lo and behold, all three guys are asleep. And they aren't asleep to the point where like, look like they nodded off. These guys are asleep like somebody like somebody shot them, like they were on drugs or something, like they just, like, had lost it all, Billy, in their life, and blah, just rolled over. Okay, it was crazy. Anyway, so she wakes him up. She says something, and a couple of guys wake up, and, you know, they, they, they're babbling back and forth in Chinese, no big thing, blah, blah, I guess. Anyway, scared the snot out of me. So when we landed in Beijing, of course, I pitched the the complaint, and Lonnie Ali is just grabbing me as I'm getting off the plane because I'm screaming, hey, you know, they Automatic pilot. These guys were asleep and this and that. And nobody's understanding what I'm saying. Muhammad's laughing. Anyway, that was my trip to uh, China, the first one. Anyway, what I'm trying to tell you is, ee, before 9-11, you can get into cockpits. And you can get on, especially if you're like in the executive class, things like that. So you can get in the cockpits. You can see what's going on in planes. But now it ain't happening. Knock on that door of a cockpit, and you're probably going to jail. You are tuned to Ring Talk Live Worldwide. You're inside looking to the world world of boxing and MMA. Looking ahead, of course, December the 9th. Man, this is a fight, folks. In fact, Hector Martinez, former two-time Golden Glove champion. Of course, the man went undefeated until he lost. I think he lost one fight because of the weight. It was like a split decision, a 3-2 split. That's the only fight he ever lost in his life. He was an amazing, amazing fighter. Of course, he ended up uh, training and then co-managing Roberto Duran. That's right, the great Roberto Duran. Anyway, he's excited about this fight. I'm excited about this fight. I'm talking about Valentina... Uh, <laughs> Vasyl Lomachenko. Valentina Val. <laughs> I was thinking MMA. Anyway, Vasyl Lomachenko. Of course, the two-time Olympian uh, gold medalist, world champion as an amateur. Nine and one as a pro, having gotten mugged at one time by Orlando Salito, Nine and one as a pro, seven KOs considered. Maybe the best boxer in the world right now. Ooh, that's a big, big, that's a big, ooh, all right. Anyway, take it on Guillermo Rigano, of course, Rigano the Cuban. Remember I told you about him how he defected to Cuba the first, how he defected from Cuba to Brazil the first time. And he's down there in Brazil, so he defects, and you know, he's 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 like kicking it back in his hotel and he's got room service and these these sponsors from the United States, I think it was Luis de Cubas and these guys. I'm not sure exactly, but I think it was the the cube, we call him the cube, Luis de Cubas Senior. Anyway, Um, They were supposed to get some money down to Rigano, and they didn't get the money there in time. And Rigano's hotel bill ended up getting like, you know, steep. So they deported him. The Brazilians deported him back to Cuba. So he went back to Cuba and then he became a Cuban guy again, of course, you know, and he kissed, I guess, Fidel's ring hand or whatever he did. And he got to travel once more and he defected the second time. The second defection, he made good on it. Anyway, Rigano, 17-0, 11 Kales, unbeaten, uh, you know, I mean, stellar. I mean, just stellar. What can I say? He's like gangster slap guys that he wasn't supposed to beat in the minds of some. I think he's an outstanding boxer. He's a boxer that that some people don't find entertaining. But, you know, if you can hit not get hit and make people look bad, I like to look bad. I'm sorry, but I I, I didn't humiliate people. I didn't like to humiliate people because you do that at times. Okay? But I, I, I like, I'd like i like to show my stuff. I'd like to show people, you know, I'm imposing my will here. And guess what? Rigondeaux and Lomachenko, both guys want to impose their will. This is going to be one hell of a fight, baby. December the 9th, no doubt about it. Lomachenko and Rigondeaux, possibly the prospect for fight of the year. You are tuned to Ring Talk Live Worldwide. 1-800-878-PLAY. That's one 800 878 oh, Oh 8 I didn't mention the guilt-free text line. That's right, the guilt-free text line. Text me, baby. That's 415-275-1613. We'll talk about the, wow, the World Boxing Super Series. Of course, rocking and rolling over there in the U.K. That and more on Ring Talk Live Worldwide. Can I just... Go for it. ...one postscript. After that fight, I thought of something the great sports writer Red Smith once wrote. If you want to find out who won a close fight ask a nine year old kid
3: know, cause about the time
5: <laughs> Pedro, I want to thank you because for me you are a legend. You know, you are a legend. I read your articles uh, 20, uh, uh, before 1999, 1998, and uh, I think you are the most uh, special uh, boxing person for me. For me, your articles were great. We were uh, historic
2: articles. I am a little nervous every time we talk. The great Lacus Cristal, baby, comes, to you, of course, from Athens, Greece. He's the godfather of Greece, I kid you not. You are tuned to Ring Talk Live Worldwide. You know, I'm talking about this World Boxing Super Series. Sort of cool, man. I mean, guys getting together tournament-wise. Of course, Chris Eubank Jr., they call him the next generation now, 26-1. and one. Pretty good-looking guy as far as a super middleweight. Of course, his father the former... WBO, I think he was 160 and a 175-pound champion. I think he had two divisions there. Uh, Chris Eubanks Sr., of course, the guy that wears a monocle now. He's sort of like he's a stellar guy. He wears a monocle. You know what a monocle is? It's one of those little, little, little like uh, a glass that you stick in your eye. It's just like one lens. You sort of stick it in there. It's got a string hanging off your neck. It was sort of cool. Anyway, the bottom line is he wears a monocle, some cool suits. But his kid, his kid is rocking and rolling with a third-round knockout over the unbeaten or previously unbeaten. Avni Yedmer. Okay, Yedmer came in uh, 16 and zip, left 16 and 1, 10 kills. Guess what? Didn't go but three rounds. An amazing fighter, as this guy is starting to look like. I'm talking about the southpaw, Chris Eubank Jr. In fact, that he stood over his foe. You know I, know, I know some of you guys don't like this, but when he stood over his foe, when he knocked his foe over and he just stood there, I thought that was so cool because, you know, I had knocked guys out and I had just stood there. You just stood you just stand there. You wait for the referee to sort of make you go back to the corner. You just stand there because you're making a statement. You're making a statement, okay? Your statement has been made through the punch, through the fact that this guy's laying on his back, okay, or on his side or face force, whatever it happens to be. He's down. You're not. You put him there, okay, and you want people to realize that. So I always stood there for the extra second. People didn't like that. I remember one guy said, you're a, you're a glory out. No, I'm not a glory out. I'm not a glory Plus, I gave him a couple extra seconds on the canvas case he wanted to get up but that's just me making a statement fighters need to make statements eubank jr made a statement he stood over his fallen foe last night and although some of you guys think that's classless and deplorable and that kind of good stuff it's sport baby And that's what this is all about it's attitudes and sport if you don't have an attitude you don't make it in this game you just don't you can't make it as a fighter if you don't have an attitude you just forget it man you you I, i mean i've had guys excellent athletic ability Good bodies, okay? Decent reflexes. I mean, they they knew the game as far as what we wanted to do and things like that. But they didn't have the attitude. You've got to have the attitude. In other words, you've got to be willing sometimes to chew the top off a pencil and just keep chewing. Metal eraser and all, if you know what I'm trying to say. You've got to be able to bite it off and chew it, no matter what it is. And that attitude, that's what gets you there. Open phone lines if you want to talk some attitude. 1-800-878-PLAY. That's one 800 878 Seven, five, nine, of course, the guilt-free text line. When I say guilt-free, I mean that, you know, you don't have to come on the show. You don't have to say say anything in case, you know, some people say they get nervous. I remember the, the San Jose Mercury News. Colin Seymour did an article on me. It was like in the 90s, like 91 or 92, and he polled all these callers, all these people at, at a fight card. I think it was in San Mateo or San Jose, California, and they said, we're scared to call him. We're scared. That's what they said. And he came out in the San Jose Mercury News. That they were scared to call me because they thought that I would, if they, if they stuttered or stumbled or, or acted a fool, that I would light them up like a White House Christmas tree. And that's not true because you know, you know, if you do act stupid, I will, I will, you know, tip your hat on that one. But you know, the bottom line is we're not here to any, embarrass anybody. We're here to have a damn good time, and we are. One eight hundred eight seven eight. Play that's one eight hundred eight seven eight seven five. in the guilt free text line four one five two seven five one six one three. That's four one five two seven five. One, six, one, three. Speaking of second-generation fighters, this guy's father and I, we were in a sauna in Reno, Nevada, and I didn't, was it Reno or Las It was either the Reno Hilton or the Las Vegas Hilton. It was one of the Hiltons. I remember it was the Hilton. Anyway, we're in, I'm in, uh, I see this guy get carried out of a sauna, and I'm about to get go in the sauna and get a massage after I go in the sauna. Anyway, I've got the towel wrapped around me, this kind of stuff, and all of a sudden the the, the sauna door burst open. Boom! I mean, they kick it open like, like you're breaking down a house, like you're a cop. With a warrant, you know, no knock warrant, kicking down the door. They came busting out of the sauna, and they're carrying this dude in a silver, in a silver like running suit, but it's like one of those, little, you know, plastic suits. Okay, so they're carrying him. I'm like, what, what the, what the hell's going on here? So they lay the moomas. Okay, I got out of the way. So they laid the dude down on the bench in between the lockers there, and I look over, and it's Jorge Maromero Pias. Then I believe he is the IBF featherweight champion of the world, 126 pounds out of, of course, Mexicali, Mexico. Anyway, so he looks at me. He goes, I, when I finally figure out what's going on is that this guy's in there losing weight, okay? He's dying to make weight. He's going to make weight the next day, 126 pounds, I think, to take on the other one of the kids from Texas. can't think of his name right now. Anyway, um, so Marmel Price is laying there on the bench. He says to me, homie, homie, no mas box, no mas box, por favor. He was begging me to never let him box again. He never wanted to box again because he was going through torture, the torture of making weight, the torture of making weight. Anyway, come, uh, I guess that was about 1991, 1992, uh, what is it, 25 years later? Here we are in 2017. Of course, Jorge Maromero C Jr. now 40 and 10 as a professional, a couple of draws and 24 KOs. Um, he's not the, how can I put this, the most enlightened fighter in the entire world. Okay, he's not. But last night he lost a 10-round unanimous nod to a guy named Jose Carlos Puro Paz, who's 21 and 6. I mean, no surprise that, that he lost, but the fact that, you know, his father was such a color colorful character, and he's a guy that you can never live... You know, a lot of guys in boxing can never live up to the father. Can you ever think of a guy that, that superseded his father? Hmm. There aren't too many guys out there, I mean, that, 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 you know, that did better than their dad did. That's not too many. Peter McNeely and his father? No, remember his father fought... Floyd Patterson, come on, that was a joke. So, hey, and speaking of Peter McNeely, you remember Peter McNeely when he did that Pizza Hut commercial? Of course, he was going to fight Mike Tyson. He was the first opponent for Mike Tyson after Mike Tyson spent a couple of years in a slam for that that bogus rape charge out of Indiana. Remember, so they they let him out, and he was going to fight uh, Peter McNeely, the, the Pizza Hut kid from, <laughs> he was doing Pizza Hut commercials from uh, from Massachusetts, okay. I mean, it was they were going to really tie this in with this fact that his father had fought for the title all that kind of stuff. So the history was there, the lineage was there, but the kid couldn't fight a lick. So Mike Tyson knocked him out like in a minute and a half. But after that, he got into a DUI, He got a DUI, and of course that took away his pizza Hut commercials. But he was a color, 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 colorful, ah, a colorful guy and a fun guy to be around. Peter McNeely, I wonder what he's doing nowadays. But he was a second generation boxer. And he didn't do better than his father. Anyway, Mario Pius Jr. didn't do better than his father either. What I'm trying to say is, what I'm trying to lead to is, is that possibly Chris Bay Eubank Jr. could be better than his father. That's He may be the exception to the rule. Guess what? We're talking China a little bit earlier, unbeaten WO number two ranked contender, 115 pounds, Rex Zo, T-S-O, 22-0, 13 wax. Technical decision winning in the seventh round after a headbutt forced an early end to a clash, of course, against former world champion Coel Kono. Now 33 and 11 with a draw on 14 wax. That was Saturday night at the Hong Kong Convention Center, obviously in Hong Kong, China. And of course, having done the first boxing card ever, 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 and I kid you not when I say ever, because Mao Tung. for those of you that don't know history, he was the guy that took over China in 1949. He imposed communist rule and that kind of stuff, okay? So at that time, he ran out all the dope fiends, the opium heads, and he banned boxing. I don't know why he banned boxing and opium. I don't know, it doesn't make sense. Anyway. That's what Mao said, no boxing. So from 1949 until 1993, there was no boxing, okay, until we did that card in 1993. Of course, Bert Cooper, a couple of those guys on that card, Mike Weaver's on that card, fantastic bill, no doubt about that. I think it was February 1993, the brawl at the wall, haven't made history. So now China's back in rocking and rolling. I mean, cards in Hong Kong, there were cards in Hong Kong before. See, so Hong Kong wasn't really China at that point in time, up until a few years ago when it became China again. It used to be a British colony. Okay, but then, you know, the lease ran out. Actually, the British leased that They should have leased it for a lot longer than they did. Anyway, they leased it, and the lease ran out, and China took over, of course, and now there is boxing in all of China. I mean, mainland China, professional boxing's hot, hot and happening. And what's funny is we had a Chinese fighter back in 1994 we tried to put on a card. He was an MMA guy. We tried to put him on a card in Macau, and he couldn't fight a lick. He couldn't lick a stamp. In fact, what he was doing was, um, I was in charge of watching the fighters. I was sort of like the snitch for the promotion. I had to make sense, you know, because, I mean, we're putting together a decent promotion here. We're getting decent money to do this. They're paying me a lot of money to go over there and do the television, but they're paying me a certain amount of money on the side to work with the promotion, with Harold Smith and the promotion. So I'm working with the promotion, trying to make things are go, things are things going well. So when I see this guy, this Chinese guy, I can't think of his name right now, but um, he he's making his pro debut. When he had like 40 or 50 slices of bacon on his on his plate i sort of like was alarmed because this is like two days before a fight and i'm saying to myself this is the way this guy trains because they haven't told me anything okay they just brought this guy in a couple days before so pedro you're gonna work him out in the gym i said cool so i bring him and his trainer to the gym his trainer doesn't know anything he's a he's a kung fu guy doesn't know anything so i bring him to the gym Guy can't throw a jab. He can't do anything. I go back to Harold and said, listen, you can't put this guy in the ring. You can't. The guy can't fight. He, does, he can't spell box if you put the letters on a piece of paper in Chinese and and, and, and and he just couldn't do it. He couldn't put the three letters together. He's that inept. Nobody's that inept, Harold said. I said, this guy is that inept. So Harold says to me, I'll work on it. I'll figure it out. So What Harold did was he got a guy that was working with us, a former professional wrestler and a trainer, uh, he got a guy to go in there and fight this Chinese guy. Well, he took a bump. And what a bump means is he took a dive against the Chinese guy and it started a big riot. So here we are in August and September of 1994. There's chairs being thrown in this Macau arena. Everything's going crazy. I am doing the TV. I grabbed the ring announcers. Uh, I was doing the ring announcing as well. And I grabbed the microphone and told the crowd to cool off, chill, this kind of good stuff. But I didn't speak Chinese and they were upset because they knew they had witnessed a fix. They knew it. They weren't stupid. They were Chinese. They weren't stupid. You know? I mean, what are you going to do? Believe my eyes or what's going on? Believe my or believe my eyes or those lying judges. You know what time it was. Anyway, the bottom line is when the riot subsued, um, referee John Shoy and I got a bunch of girls out of there. Sort of cool. Yeah, it was a good ending to that one. And We all got paid, I guess, in the end. But McAllen boxing, that was a bad, bad night. September 1994, the riot, the end of the fight card before the main event. You are tuned to Ring Talk Live Worldwide for the City by the Bay. Ring Talk Live Worldwide here on Saturdays and Sundays, 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time. Of course, on the Sports Byline, the SB Nation Radio Network. Well, you have to talk to my lawyer on that one. Me to try to explain I'm
4: that my pride is the Because I know I
2: don't doing no one.
5: Call right now for prices so low they can't be published. Travel experts are here 24-7 to help. 800-754-4531. 800-754-4531. 800-754-4531. 800-754-4531. That's 800-754-4531. You
2: want to say Cassius Clay? When Howard yes. Cosell and everybody is calling
6: Muhammad
7: Ali, then why you got to be one of all people who's color to keep saying Cassius Clay? My name is Muhammad Ali, and you will announce it right there in the center of that ring after the fight if you don't do it now. <laughs>
3: Now, more bring Ring Talk with Pedro
2: Fernandez. He is the greatest fighter of all time next to me. He is the greatest speaker of all time next to me. I'm talking about the great Muhammad Ali, born Cassius Day, of course, back in 1943, I believe. Bottom line is Cassius left us, of course, the age of 74. And, you know, there's only been one guy, really, that's um, been able to talk a little bit of smack about Muhammad Ali, and nobody's been able to rebuff that because he retires undefeated. I'm talking about... Rocky Marciano, 49-and-all the rock out of Rockton, Massachusetts. I mean, he was the guy, no doubt about it, the Italian guy that could hit, you know, his, his, his right hand and had the force of a forty five slug, all that kind of good stuff. Anyway, the bottom line was when Ali was hot and he was rolling and he was untouchable back around 1966, Rocky Marciano was not Muhammad Ali's biggest fan. Well, Rocky,
6: it's great to have you here at World of Sport. <clears throat> and as you can see, all the fans here enjoy having a champion with them here in the studio. There's the champions of all sport here in Melbourne, and uh, we're very happy to have another one from America now to say hello to us throughout Victoria.
7: Thank you, Ron. Rocky, how do
6: you feel about uh, the result of the heavyweight title fight this morning? Cassius Clay stopping Brian London in only three rounds.
7: Well, it was expected. Uh, really, this was not a, a fight of importance. I think it's what Cassius Clay himself calls the the bum-of-the-month club. (laughs) (laughs) Keeping quite busy, trying to get as many fights as he can before going in the army, and that I'm sure will happen. Uh, And so uh, it was no surprise to me because back in 59, May of 59, Floyd Patterson, then the heavyweight champion of the world, made easy work of Brian London. And at that time, uh, the American press at least didn't give Brian any kind of credit for anything in boxing. He has not been uh, thought of very much as a heavyweight uh, contender or of, as of a heavyweight fighter. And in my book, the uh, match should have never been made. How do you write Cassius Clay? At this time, I rate Clay, of course, the best in the country, in the world, as a heavyweight fighter. I don't really know how good he is. He has never been a hit on the chin with a good punch. Uh, he's been able to get away from punches extremely well. In fact, I believe this is his greatest uh, asset, getting away from punches, uh, as he did in the Cooper fight. Cooper uh, couldn't hardly hit him. And uh, <clears throat> although it was a fair fight to watch, of course, Cooper uh, didn't hit him once good. And Clay then went on to cut his eye and win the fight. And Clay, all of Clay's fights, uh, he's never been really outstanding. He is... Had a couple of fights with uh, Sonny Liston that um, are kind of question mark, dubious. Uh, He didn't uh, show uh, real well in them because perhaps he didn't have a chance to show real well with not a good opponent in there. I think it's going to take a good opponent to show just how good uh, Cassius Clay is.
6: Rocky, there's some remarkable statistics about yourself as a champion. Uh, this was the cause of the fight that you fought or the way that you fought in that uh, Nat Fleischer lists you as having the shortest reach of any heavyweight
7: champion. Is correct? Yeah, that is absolutely right. 67 inches this way here, which is not very long. Well, that's believe- not much more than Rocky Gettelary, our flyweight champion. That's no, about right.
6: Now, did you have to... Uh, did you have
7: to devise the swashbuckling style of punch fighting that you did because of the short reach? Yes, that was the big reason. I had to... Uh, sort of get low and try to come up as we say from underneath to get in close on an opponent because the closer I could get to an opponent uh, the more damage I could do with the shot arms at uh, at long range I just couldn't jab with the, the great jabbers uh, such as Joe Lewis when I fought him in 51 uh, he had 11 inches reach on me and was able to just pop that left in my in my face And keep me at a distance. I had to sort of crowd and um, move in on them and that is why uh, the style was really developed.
6: Rocky, um, I know that there were overtures made to you, uh, not entirely for reasons financial, to make a return to the ring. This was when Sonny Liston was still champion. Did you ever have the temptation
7: to come back? It, It happened before the Sonny Liston fight actually. Floyd Patterson became heavyweight champion a year after I retired. He then had a few fights with Archie Moore and a few other boys that uh, weren't, uh, weren't exciting at all. And then along came uh, Ingemar Johansson, the uh, good right-hand punching fighter from Sweden. And uh, when he won that fight, and I was sitting ringside, he knocked out Floyd Patterson, and it was a dramatic punch, a straight right, right on the chin, and uh, Floyd Patterson just went backwards and never recovered from that one punch. Um, Ingemar Johansson became the idol, and um, there was a lot of talk, and there was a lot of uh, spirit amongst fight fans at this time, and this is when I got the urge to come back. I'd only been retired three years at the time. I wasn't uh, too far out of good condition, and I took a little vacation for myself. I went away to a training camp close to my home by myself, and try to get myself in condition again, as I once did, but I just couldn't. I didn't have the same feeling, I didn't have the same um, uh, hunger, and uh, uh, for other reasons, I just couldn't concentrate on boxing as I once did. And so I thought it best not to have any publicity on it, but just to go home and call it another day.
6: If Cassius Clay had been a challenger for your world title, would you have been confident of retaining your title against Cassius Clay?
7: Well, I certainly would have uh, Would have enjoyed a fight with Cassius Clay. He's a, he's what we call a perfect opponent. He's tall, he's big, he's rangy. He's on the style of a Joe Lewis. I'm talking about physically now. Uh, he has the same abilities, perhaps not as great a left jab as Joe Lewis, but uh, certainly abilities uh, close to Joe Lewis. Uh, I can say again, I don't know how great this man is. He could possibly be a great fighter, and time will tell. Is Cassius Clay
6: good for boxing?
7: Yes and no. Uh, in the beginning, yes. When when he first came around, he really uh, got the public excited. He was calling the round, knocking out his opponents at the exact round that he said he would. Have you ever done this? No, <laughs> I never could. <laughs> it just isn't that way. It isn't that easy. <laughs> Uh, Most of my fights were hard fights and tough fights, and uh, I didn't have the uh, same confidence that Clay has. But uh, in the beginning, Clay was uh, good for the game. I mean, he brought a lot lot of new life into boxing. Uh, I remembered uh, people other than boxing fans were getting interested in this young loudmouth. And then uh, he overdid it. He talked a little bit too much, a little bit too long, and he talked about the wrong things. And when he brought his religion into the picture, it sort of changed the whole entire setup of boxing. And for the last two years, at least, two two years, uh, he's been sort of bad. For- all due respect to Mr. Marciano,
2: but he couldn't have carried Muhammad Ali's jockstrap. Far, he couldn't have beat Cassius Clay. He couldn't have beat Muhammad Ali. I mean, all due respect to him. He was a, an outstanding guy. Considering what he brought to the ring, I mean, he wasn't a big, tall guy. He wasn't some 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 muscular mass or anything like that. He was only five foot ten, maybe five foot ten and a half. Like he weighed like 185, hundred and eighty five, hundred and ninety pounds. So he wasn't that big of a guy. But Rocco Francis Martigan Marchigano, that was his real name, the Brockton blockbuster, the rock from Brockton, call him what you want. Brockton, Massachusetts baby, born in nineteen twenty three. Died at the age of forty-five in nineteen sixty-nine. Of course I told you about that. He was just a cheapskate. Didn't want to pay for an airline ticket. So he cashed in He did a promotional event somewhere and they gave him a free airline ticket, free round trip ticket on like American Airlines or Pan Am. something. I think it was Pan Am. So he cashed in the Pan Am ticket and he flew on the back of some freighter, like, you know, like a piece of like like a FedEx plane and the FedEx plane crashed and he was history but he was a cheapskate and there was like over 2 or 3 million dollars that this guy buried in 1950s money somewhere and we don't know where it's at the Marciano family doesn't know where it's at but somewhere in this world somewhere in this somewhere on I guess, I would say in the United States somewhere in the United States there is 2 or 3 million dollars buried that Rocky Marciano buried because he was such a cheapskate hey rock you brought that crap on yourself that's pretty cold to leave your family almost destitute because of the fact you were such a cheapskate 49-0 43 knockouts of course the average age of the opponent was about 34.6 years. I averaged it out, and that's not, a, that's not really a, a stellar a resume for a heavyweight champion. With that being said, he beat everybody put in front of him at that point in time. I mean, but had he met Cassius Clay, had he met Larry Holmes, had he met George Foreman, um, mm, Joe Frazier, I think Joe Frazier would have got him. I think that would have been a hell of a fight. I think whose hook would have got there first, whose punch would have got there first. to get by. If the right hand could have beat Joe Frazier's hook, Rocky had a chance there, okay. That's you get in order to beat Joe Frazier, you had to beat that hook. You had to beat that hook. You know, the only the only way really, way you really beat that hook was a straight right hand. It's got to be straight. It's got to be on the money, and your shoulders got to be up in order to protect your chin from that that hook coming at you. So some guys can do it, some guys can't. Well, Marciano and Ali, of course, they did finally tangle in a uh, uh, a televised computer type of fight. I think there was like three three different endings. I think Muhammad Ali won one ending and. And Rocky Marciano won the other ending, and then one ending had it a draw. Because I think they've won 15 rounds. And, you know, it was, as I said, a studio, a televised, a stage type of fight. You can find clips of it on YouTube.com. That's YouTube.com. Of course, Rocky Marciano. This was 1967. I think it was 67. No, 68. 1968 when they did this, of course. And Marciano died not soon, not, not too long thereafter. I mean, listen. 45 years old, nobody wants to see anybody go to the age of 45. But, man, when you do it for a buck, you know, I'll tell you a story about flying. And it didn't end up in a, in a plane crash, but it just shows, you, shows you my confidence in small planes. I'm flying with Jack Fisk, the Hall of Fame boxing writer from the San Francisco Chronicle. World Boxing Hall of Fame, International Boxing Hall of Fame back there in Kansas City, New York. Everybody's Hall of Fame. He's like the godfather of boxing writers. So he and I go down to San Jose, California, because we're going to fly to the card at the LA Forum, I believe, with Marco Antonio Barrera and Kennedy McKinney. I think that was in 1996. So we're going to fly down there for this big HBO Boxing After Dark card. The first card ever of Boxing After Dark on HBO. I mean, this was like, uh, it would be the the debut of a barn burner series, man. I mean, when Boxing After Dark was at its peak. With Lou DiBella running the show at HBO, man, it was the best boxing series maybe in history. Anyway, regardless, I went down there that day to the airport in San Jose, you know, flew down. I drove down and uh, went to Joe Gilardi's private plane. So I looked at Joe Gilardi's private plane and they were looking at the, um, the baggage and this and that. And they were talking about, you know, averaging out the baggage and where people sat, this and that. I don't want to be on an airplane where you got to tell me where I got to sit because I might be slimmer than the guy that's fat on the other side. Ah, I'm not looking to balance out no small plane. Anyway, the bottom line is when I saw the plane, I turned. I made a statement to Fisk. I made a statement to Gallardi, of course, the, the, the promoter of closed-circuit television before it became pay-per-view. Of course, mega, mega millionaire, big insurance guy down there in San Jose. But I told the two of these guys, I'm not getting on that plane. No buddy Holly story for me, baby. I'm out of here. So I turned around and I left. They were laughing at me. So I paid like because I had to buy it at the last minute. I paid like three hundred and fifty bucks for for a, a one way <laughs> ticket to uh, to L A. That day uh, on I forget what airline it was, but it was first class. To pay like three hundred fifty bucks for a one way ticket usually cost you about seventy or eighty bucks, maybe a hundred bucks back then max. But I did this and I flew the play, I flew on the commercial flight. Got in there to the L A. Did my show at the L A. Forum office. Went over and watched the fight card. But I remember Gallardi and Jack laughing at me afterwards. No no, 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 no. I, you know, I'd rather spend the three hundred bucks than even gamble like that because that small plane. Anytime they're gonna tell you when, they, when, when the pilot's looking at you like how much you weigh. That's just not a good thing when you're flying. No way, no how. You are tuned to Ring Talk live worldwide. Hour number one to two here on Sports Bar and on SB Nation Radio. My name is Pedro Fernandez, but you probably already knew that course, the longest-running fight show in history. This is Ring Talk Live Worldwide, emanating from the city by the bay, San Francisco, California. We're talking byline sports, where sports happens. Yeah.
5: Once again, that's 800-932-5517.
3: Now, more of Ring Talk with Pedro Fernandez.
0: He certainly knows how to shake things up. I guarantee you there's no problem.
2: Ah, my guy, Donny Osmond. Man, the only, I never saw him. I, I wanted to see him, of course, back in the 70s when I was a kid. He was like the teen, the teen idol, all that kind of good stuff. But Donny, Donny rocks, of course. A friend of mine saw Paul Anka this past week in Lake Tahoe, I think, in the Silver Legacy in Reno, Nevada. And they thought that Paul Anka did a great version of Puppy Love. Guess what? Donny Osmond lit him up on Puppy Love, no doubt about that. You are tuned to Ring Talk Live Worldwide. Of course, hour number two forthcoming. We're talking mixed martial arts. The rise and fall of the UFC. Now, how can I say that when the UFC sold for $4.2 billion less than a year ago? Well, I can say that, and I can prove it right after the news break at the top of the hour. The bottom line is we're talking UFC, mixed martial arts, Bellator MMA, and I'll mix it a little pro wrestling because I like to. And now we're number two of Ring Talk Live Worldwide Upcoming, coming, of course, on SB Nation and Sports Byline Radio. Straight up, we're talking boxing, MMA, a little pro wrestling as well on the phone lines they're open, one 800 878 play That's 1-800-878-7529. Or the guilt-free text line. No commitment, baby! 415-275-1613. That's 415-275-1613. You are tuned to Ring Talk Live Worldwide. Your inside look at the world of boxing and MMA. Of course, the longest-running fight show in history. In fact, we will have our spot in the Guinness Book of Records before long. I kid you not, we're in our 34th year and nobody's even come close. Nobody. Not even come close. Often imitated but never duplicated, I am the undisputed heavyweight champion on the radio waves. Rink Talk Live Worldwide continues after the break. This is Rink Talk Live on Sports By Line and SB Nation Radio.